You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. The Savage Lovecast is sponsored by ExtremeRestraints.com, the ultimate fetish store and a fine purveyor of bondage gear, fucking machines, and more. Save an extra 10% and tell them that the Lovecast sent you by entering the coupon code SANTORUM at checkout. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Hey everybody, I was looking forward to starting this week's podcast off with, you know, a little uh, digression about where I am, where I'm recording from. I'm in Auburn, Alabama, which is not a place I've ever visited before. Here recording a TV show for MTV, uh, War Eagle, I'm supposed to say for all the Auburnites out there listening. Um, And I wanted to have a little fun about the travel and share a little bit of what I'm up to with all y'all, but I'm not going to be able to do that this week because there's something else I need to talk about, something uh, that ain't much fun. Jamie Rodemeyer was 14 years old growing up in Buffalo, New York, and he was feminine. Most of his friends were girls. He loved Lady Gaga. And for that, uh, he was very brutally bullied on a daily basis and harassed online viciously and encouraged to kill himself. And that is what he did. Um, he took his own life uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the bullies are still walking around, as Jamie's mother said on CBS. Uh, indeed, they showed up at a, at a dance that Jamie's sister was attending. And when a song was dedicated to Jamie's memory, they began to chant, We're glad you're dead. Not sure how you respond to that kind of hatred and bigotry. It's except it can, it it can fill you with despair to think about children who are so warped and, and so hateful. And then there's this despairing detail. Uh, Jamie was not just one of the kids out there that we created the, it gets better project to reach. Jamie participated in the It Gets Better project. Jamie created a video for the It Gets Better project. One of the hundreds and hundreds of high school students and middle school students who have participated, created videos, reached out to other LGBT kids their own age uh, with their insight, their support, uh, their advice. And in the wake of Jamie's suicide, it is almost indescribably heartbreaking to watch his video. The It Gets Better Project was created to give bullied and despairing LGBT kids hope for their futures. But sometimes hope isn't enough, and sometimes the damage done by hate and haters is too great, and sometimes that future can seem too remote. And those are the times that we all feel despair. And I certainly felt despair personally watching Jamie's It Gets Better video in the wake of his suicide. It was, as I said, just indescribably heartbreaking. We know now, when you watch his video now, it's clear that he was in pain when he was making his video, and he was speaking as much to himself, trying to reassure himself, as he was speaking to others. But he was reaching out, and he was trying to help kids who were suffering like he was suffering. And I think that we can best honor Jamie's memory by following the example that Jamie set. As I said, since the very beginning of the It Gets Better project, 
There's nothing about participating in it that excuses or precludes us, particularly the adults among us, from doing more. The videos have helped thousands and thousands of LGBT kids. Uh, We've heard from them. We've heard from their parents. They've told us that the videos have provided them with hope, with moral support, insight, practical referrals to services that they needed in the moment to persevere. But we can do more. We must do more. We have to press for passage of the Student Non-Discrimination Act. We have to fight to get anti-bullying programs that address anti-LGBT bullying into the schools. And we have to support GLSEN and its efforts to get GSAs into every school in the country. And we have to support the Trevor Project and the crucial work it does. But we can do more and we must do more. Particularly, we must confront the bigots who are making it worse for kids like Jamie. Whether those bigots are running through the halls of our schools, running their mouths on cable news, or running for president, those bigots have to be confronted and held accountable for the lives they're destroying. Last week, we learned that there may be some accountability for Jamie. The police department in the city where Jamie lived has opened an investigation to determine whether to charge some students that harassed Jamie with criminal harassment, cyber harassment, or hate crimes. They're looking at three in particular. You know, when I read that, my reaction was harassment and cyber harassment, those aren't crimes after the target commits suicide. They are crimes before the target commits suicide, and they should be investigated and prosecuted before a grieving family has to bury a child, not after. Jamie's parents have asked us to make donations in his memory to crisis services. You can find them at crisisservices.org. Please donate. And then find something else you can do. And do it. And then do a little more. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling in regards to my boyfriend. Um, We're in a long-distance relationship. And I recently um, went to see him after not seeing him for two months. Um, And we had sex. And he insists that I had to have been cheating on him because I felt looser, um, noticeably looser. And I don't know how that's possible. Um, I have not been cheating on him. Um, I have not been even playing with my toys or anything. He does have a rather small penis. So I, I don't know if there's anything... Any other explanation that you can think of to help save my relationship? Because I am head over heels in love with him, and I don't want to lose him. Um, I even tried doing cables beforehand, before I saw him, and I thought I was doing them, but apparently I wasn't. Um, I don't know. Just anything, any help. You've asked me to help you save your relationship, what you can say to this guy. And that puts me in, a, in a, an awkward position because I don't want to help you save this relationship. Um, I think you need to dump this motherfucker already. Accusations of cheating uh, based on zero evidence is a red flag. It, it's, a, it's something that people who wind up abusing their partners engage in. You know, he's leveled this charge that you cannot disprove on zero evidence. Some feeling he got in your vagina putting his dick in your vagina, that that's 
clearly more about him projecting his insecurities about the size of his dick onto you than about anything you did or could do or or, or now can disprove. Like, what, what what can I tell you to say to this guy? You've already denied that you fucked somebody else. The end. And if he doesn't believe you based on some, like, tingly spider sense his dick got inside your vaginal canal, there's nothing I can say that's going to convince him. Uh, I do want to say something, though, to convince you to dump this motherfucker already. This is only going to get worse. A guy who levels these kinds of baseless accusations of infidelity against a woman early in a relationship... Uh, on zero evidence is going to continue to make those accusations to you know make you feel insecure and fearful and uh, those guys and i'm not saying every guy who's ever made a baseless accusation of infidelity wound up beating up his wife or girlfriend but that is a sign of a guy who can uh and you just need to fucking run you need to get the hell away from this guy uh before the abusive uh patterns uh, others begin to emerge or before it escalates Dump this motherfucker already. Hey, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old straight guy, and I'm calling regarding an issue that I've dealt with my whole life. Um, I have gynecomastia, or uh, in layman's terms, male breasts or bitch tits, etc. Uh, I've had them since I was a little kid uh, going through puberty. And at the time, my doctor told me that they'd go away within a few years and I shouldn't worry about it. And I wasn't even remotely overweight growing up, and I'm still in great shape now. Long story short, I'm 24, and I still have large, saggy, fatty breasts. And I exercise regularly, I eat very healthy, and I'm actually a tall, skinny guy, but pretty much no matter what I do regarding my overall fitness, I'm stuck with these huge male breasts. Uh, Not just like a little protruding either not just not just noticeable when I wear like a thin t-shirt but I have have bigger boobs than some of the girls I've slept with and I can't really stand it anymore um I feel like emasculated by them um I constantly slouch so as to not allow my chest to pop out when I walk I hate going swimming and when bringing girls home it always makes me feel weird taking my shirt off in front of them uh kind of like kills the mood. Uh, it's not to say that I get laid that often either, but uh, it was just as a reference because I feel like they negatively affect my sex life. Um, being on public, I constantly am self-conscious about them and I feel like they're destructive to my self-confidence and like I feel gross with them. Uh, I guess what I'm getting at is I have a few questions. Uh, am I being too dramatic over this? And are there women who are into guys with breasts? And I guess what can I do about it? Thanks, Dan. Most men who suffer from gynecomastia get male breast reduction surgery in their teens. And I would urge you to go do that. I don't think diet and exercise are going to be a cure for you. It's going to run you five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000, depending on where you have it done. Um, and I think that's, you know, if you don't have that money on hand and your parents do, I think your parents should help you pay for that. Most uh, folks who have your condition, it's something that uh, a surgeon looks to or they get taken care of for cosmetic reasons uh, in their teens. Unfortunately, it's not a surgery that's covered by most health insurance programs. You're going to have to pay out of pocket because it's considered cosmetic. Um, But if it's making you miserable and you're 24 and it hasn't gone away, uh, it's probably never going to go away, which means it's going to continue to make you miserable. 
So I would, uh, as I'm sure you've contemplated, I'm surprised you didn't mention it, I would opt for surgery if I were you. There's no uh, magic words, as for the first caller, no magic words. Uh, and there's no no real cure uh, besides, uh, besides a surgical intervention, which I encourage you to go get. The Savage Lovecast is sponsored by ExtremeRestraints.com, the ultimate fetish store. If you want to explore your kinks, you'll find a vast selection of bondage gear, fucking machines, chastity devices, electrosex, cock jewelry, sex toys, and much, much more at ExtremeRestraints.com. Save an extra 10% and tell them the Lovecast sent you by entering the coupon code SANTORUM at checkout. That's coupon code SANTORUM to take an extra 10% off whatever gear you need for your kink at ExtremeRestraints.com. Hey, Dan. Um, this is an 18-year-old uh, college student who has just come out to his parents. I They didn't take it very well. Um, I'm, I, I'm going to a college uh, very close to my house for the first year, so I have to, be, have to live with them. Uh, my mom didn't take it too badly. Uh, my dad's the one that took it the worst. Um, he kept saying things like, oh, bullshit, bullshit. Uh, it, when that, when did that happen? Um, and it, it felt kind of odd because they always joked around with me and said things like, oh, you must be gay, blah, blah, blah. And, um, I, I've been an out atheist for, uh, six, seven years. I've also, um, been very vocal about my, uh, political beliefs very vocal about uh, equality for homosexuals, uh, but they did. My, my dad just didn't take it well, um, and, and it's odd because he's he, he, he's somewhat liberal and progressive. Uh, they're not religious. I, I think he's just really worried about his parents, who are fairly conservative, and uh, they they said to me like, as long as you're not gay, so um, they may end up disowning me. He, he doesn't want to put up with it. But um, I was wondering if you could maybe uh, record something uh, helping that I can show off to my parents that will explain to them why I'm like this or just try to get them to accept me. Welcome out. And I'm sorry your parents aren't having the reaction you would have liked them to have. Uh, many of us out here, uh, parents had the similar reactions, parents we thought might be supportive, parents who weren't particularly religious, once their child actually does come out to them, they freak out, uh, they say things they later apologize for, later regret, and eventually they do come around, and I think your parents will come around. I could record a message for your parents, but I'm not sure that they really want to hear from the likes of me. Uh, usually when parents first come out... Um, what helps most is hearing from other parents. Uh, you know, often the advice is to try to get your parents to go to a PFLAG meeting, parents and friends of lesbians and gays. Uh, not everybody's parents live somewhere where there's a PFLAG chapter. A lot of PFLAG chapters will do sort of online uh, support or online phone consultations. But even for some parents, that can be uh, setting the bar awfully high. You know, they're going to have to get on the phone and talk about it. Or they're going to have to walk into a room and sit in a folding chair. And, you know, that can be too much to for them to handle uh, when you first come out to them. Which is why um, some folks have created a, a video that you, that you can watch, that your parents can watch online, where they will hear from parents who are going through what they've gone through right now. And they can watch the video in the privacy of their own home um, without having to look anybody in the eye. 
without having to go to a meeting, without having to get on the phone. Um, they can see the video at leadwithlovefilm.com. Strengthening families through the coming out process. Lead with love. That's what it's called. Uh, I recommend it. I watched it. It's uh, terribly moving, and it's available to watch online. It's on YouTube. Um, but there's more information at leadwithlovefilm.com. And again, I really think that you should send your parents there instead of sicking me on your parents. Uh, you know, I'm just some homo with a podcast and an agenda, and I'm not, uh, you know, a straight parent whose child just came out to them. Uh, I'm not who they need to hear from right now. Who they need to hear from right now are straight parents who've gone through exactly what they're going through now. Even if they won't go to a PFLAG meeting, even if they will go to a PFLAG meeting, the best place, I think, for them to start right now is this documentary, Lead With Love. It's only 35 minutes long, and your parents can watch it at leadwithlovefilm.com. Send them the link via email or call and talk to your dad and ask him to watch it uh, and guilt him. You know, a lot of people think that only parents can guilt children, but it actually works both ways. You can guilt them and you can say to your dad, uh, it's literally the least you can do. Sit down and watch this 35-minute documentary uh, that is about you uh, and where, where he will meet, where you, dad, will meet uh, other moms and dads uh, whose kids have come out to them. Welcome out. Uh, sorry your parents are not being all that they could be. Let's, uh, let's hope they come around. I'm sure they will. Hey, Dan. I'm a guy in his mid-twenties. He came out of a three-year relationship earlier this year because I'm moving overseas with work and my girlfriend didn't want a long-distance relationship. My friends had encouraged me to get back in the game and start dating again before I leave. However, I've been dating a girl for the past month, and the sex has been utterly terrible. With my previous girlfriend, we would have incredible sex, which we both found very satisfying, with her often coming multiple times. And yet with this new girl, I had problems with me coming too soon, struggling to make her come, and even had problems keeping my dear card. It's got to such a point that I decided to end things with her, because whenever we had sex, I just ended up feeling terrible about myself and my inability to be the stallion that I want to be. So now my head's in a mess. I know that I can have amazing sex and I can make women very satisfied, but lately I just seem to have been so dysfunctional. It doesn't even seem to be logical that I can have both problems with coming too soon and maintaining an erection. So is there anything that I can do? Is this a one-off with a girl that I just didn't really click with in the first place? Is there anything I can do to stop me getting a complex about this? Here's what you can do. You can not call sex advice columnists at their podcasts about this. You need to chalk this up to you and this girl just did not click. For whatever reason, the sex didn't work. You know you are good. You know you can have decent, awesome, amazing sex that you can last, that you can get hard because you were doing all those things with your previous girlfriend. Uh, and you'll do those things with a future girlfriend. If you don't allow yourself to be consumed by anxiety and you don't sit there wringing your hands about this all day long, what you need to do is get out there, uh, perhaps find another girl uh, that you're interested in, genuinely interested in, not just a girl you're proving yourself on or in, and uh, have some more amazing sex and put this one lousy sexual encounter uh, or series of sexual encounters with someone that you didn't click with behind you and uh, don't obsess about it. Don't think about it. A big part of the boner exists in your brain and you can really psych yourself into having uh, sex problems or sexual issues that you wouldn't have otherwise if you just 
put it out of your, just dismiss it. Just say this was about her or this was about us not clicking. Don't blame her. Just about us not clicking. Uh, and I'm going to move along. It was the right thing to break up with her uh, because you two were not a match in the sack. And it's over. It's done. Please don't think about it anymore because you will give yourself these problems if you obsess about it. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a lesbian and I live in the Midwest. Uh, my question has to do with lesbian strap on, um, I guess, dick sucking? If, I don't know. Um, I haven't ever had any strap on sex um, with girls, obviously, um, that involved oral on the strap on. And I'm just wondering if people do that, if there are lesbians that like having their strap-on sucked and can get off from it. Uh, I mean, it'd be better if they could get off from it, not absolutely positively necessary. And also, I mean, I understand that I can, you know, stimulate them in other ways at the same time. But um, I'm just wondering, do lesbians do this? And if they do, why have I not run across any of them yet? Um, I'm 34, so I would have thought that I would have come across this because I am interested in trying it. But I, I want to try it with somebody that gets turned on by it and wants to do it. The question, I think, is less, do lesbians do this? And more, where do I find a lesbian that I can do this with? Because you want to do it. So there are lesbians out there we can infer who might share your interest and actually know there are lesbians out there who share your interest in this sort of what is you know, male role play basically uh, because I've seen porn that featured uh, woman on woman strap on oral dick sucking action and this was porn made by and for lesbians of course which is also watched by some straight guys uh, but it was porn made by and for lesbians and not porn made uh, with lesbians or with women pretending to be lesbians for straight guys you know, there's really two reasons that lesbian women would will use a strap-on. And one is the physical sensations that, that women who are lesbians, many of them enjoy, of being penetrated, of being fucked. And a strap-on allows a woman uh, to fuck another woman and, and give her that experience. But also, you know, there's the mental aspect of it. Of, you know, penetration is, is, is significant. And, and like I said to the previous caller, a lot of the boner exists up there in your brain. And lesbians uh, and vaginas and clitorises, they're all boners, basically, too. Uh, so for some women, you know, the sight of another woman sucking uh, her strap on, um, the, you know, the submission or the dominance that that might imply, that's intensely arousing, even if there are no nerve endings uh, that can be stimulated and there's no arousal uh, feedback loop. It's still going to be, you know, sexy. It'll make you wet. What goes on between your ears in that case. What you need to do is disinhibit. That's the word of the month for me lately. You need to disinhibit. If this is something you want to do, you need to toss it out there with the women that you're doing it with. Uh, you know, also for people who wear a strap-on, there are different kinds of strap-ons. Some have vibrators in the base or in the strap-on apparatus uh, that provide you know pleasure and stimulation to the person uh, who's being pleasured. You can also get a double-headed strap-on where you know the woman, uh, you know the 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 strap-on dildo. What 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 sticks out is uh anchored by what's stuck in to her vaginal canal to the vaginal canal of the woman wearing the strap on uh, a woman who is sucking a strap on probably not a lot's going to be going on for her unless she enjoys the kind of male role play aspect of it or the submission aspect of it and they're out there 
Uh, I think if you took out a personal ad or two or three, uh, specifically, you know, going through what it is that you're interested in exploring and experiencing, you'd be surprised by the women uh, who responded, uh, by the numbers of women who would respond. Um, so disinhibit, throw your needs out there on the table, uh, lay in some strap-on dildos, and you will find the girl for you. Hi, Dan. I am a straight 21-year-old female in Michigan, and I've been seeing a guy for about three months now. Um, the sex is fabulous. Everything about it is amazing. Uh, absolutely crazy about this guy. And last night, I told him that I loved him. And for me, that was a lot to say. I've never really said something like that before to anybody, and I really meant it. Um, and when I left to go back this morning I said it one more time and he's okay with that I told him no pressure that he can you know I trust him to tell me when he feels it too my question for you is do I keep saying it or do I just kind of let it be knowing that when he reciprocates you know then I can start saying it again I mean I I don't want to freak him out or make him feel uncomfortable by saying I love you every night when I go to bed with him or anything like that. Um, and I know I know he's crazy about me. Um, it's, it's just taking him a little more time, I think. So that's my question. Should I keep telling him that or should I just think it in my head and know that he knows it? No, no, you should not go on saying it. Because what do you say when someone says I love you? You say, I love you too. So every time you say it, he's going to feel like he's being put in a position where he's not saying what it is that you want to hear, expect to hear, uh, that you know, social convention requires him to say out loud in response to that statement. Uh, but what you don't want to do is just stop saying it uh, without qualifying the fact that you're stopped saying it. What you need to do is tell him, uh, you know, I said I love you and I'm not going to keep saying it. Uh, I'm not going to go on saying it, but I'm going to go on feeling it. When you're ready to say it, if you're ever ready to say it, I'm uh, ready to hear it. But I don't want to put you in a position of uh, feeling at all pressured to hurry yourself along or to feel feelings you're not feeling yet or to tell me that you love me when you don't feel it. So just know that I'm thinking it and I'm feeling that for you. Uh, I'm not going to badge you with the I love yous. And I think you know, you're probably likelier to get that I love you back from him if he sees that you're that kind of considerate, that you're that kind of patient, that you're that kind of not crazy. I think a lot of people, when they get the I love you from someone and they're not ready to say I love you back, uh, will sometimes pull back or even end a relationship because they feel that they don't really end the relationship because, because they don't want to feel pressured or hurried along. Uh, and those I love yous can make someone, like I said, feel pressured. Uh, so if you take the pressure off without, you know, retracting the statement, you're going to be demonstrating to him uh, that you, you're going to let him go at his own pace, at his own time, that you're not crazy and that you're not rushing him. So don't say it, but tell him why you're not saying it. Hi, Dan. I'm a 17-year-old straight male, but that's kind of irrelevant for this call. Um, I just found out tonight that one of my best friends, uh, through um, one of my best friends, that um one of her other really good friends who was out of state, and I don't really know, um, was raped by my close friend's ex-boyfriend. Um, I am acquaintances with the rapist and or alleged rapist. I really don't know if he actually, um, 
get it for sure. And, you know, um, they don't want to do anything. They don't want to take action or anything. Um, and I don't know what to do. I don't want to like, you know, this is the rapist is friends with other close friends of mine and who are female. And I, I don't want them to be in danger, um, you know, of, of being raped. And I really don't know what actions I could possibly take. Um, both the rape victim and her boyfriend, I had like a two hour conversation with her boyfriend, um, do not want to tell anyone. They, they want me to, they, they know I know and they want me to keep it secret. And I'm not happy with that, but I, I don't know what to do. Like there's really nothing I can do. Like the best solutions I've come up with would be, Telling my mom or like, you know, finding some rape crisis center that could potentially take legal action, but all all's moot if the victim doesn't want to testify. Um, I, I could, you know, start a rumor mill and that, you know, that he did it, but I, first of all, I might not have credibility and it's a rumor mill and that's just a shit storm. Um, so I, I really don't know what to do and I'm hoping with you know, you have some creative solutions to this, or at least some resources I could use. I hate calls like yours because there's nothing I can do or say that isn't going to get me in trouble. I want to encourage you to remember, as you stew on this, that this is not ultimately your problem. You were not raped. You can do what you've done, encourage your friend of a friend who claims that she was raped by another friend to report the rape, to go to the police, to go to the authorities. If she chooses not to, there's not much you can do. A rape crisis center is not going to bring an independent charge of rape or file a report. You do need the victim to go to the police. Some victims are reluctant to go to the police because they don't believe they'll be sympathetically treated. Uh, And they also fear the repercussions or Uh, being put on trial themselves, which absolutely happens. Also, something that occasionally happens are false accusations of rape. Also, after the fact, you know, someone may engage in sexual conduct that they regret, particularly a young someone. And, you know, in a culture that encourages people to shift responsibility for their sexual choices onto other people or inanimate objects, as we see with people who drink, and get blackout drunk or drink and then blame the beer. Beer takes all the responsibility for whatever they've decided to do. Uh, Sometimes people will, you know, do something, engage with somebody sexually, and then when their friends talk to them about it afterwards, they will round an unpleasant uh, sexual experience up to rape, or even an encounter that left them feeling legitimately sexually violated, pressured, coerced into giving consent. They will round that up to rape. They will tell their friends that they were raped and then not want to go to the police because under those circumstances, they know that they're not telling the whole truth. And once the police get involved, they'll have to double down or they'll be, you know, you know, the real truth will come out that it was grayer than they've let on to their friends. Um, that's also a thing that happens just, uh, you know, again, another thing that happens is people are sometimes afraid to go to the police because of other repercussions or they fear their attacker or they fear being put on trial themselves. Whatever it is though, uh, dude, it's not your problem. If you, you know, express sympathy to your friend and encourage your friend to go to the police and put your friend in contact with service providers, you know, the rape crisis center could certainly talk to her about what to do, what her next steps might be. 
including going to the police if she so chooses, uh, and let them take over. You know, uh, a rape crisis professional uh, at a crisis hotline or at a rape crisis center or a women's center is in a better position to help, also better position to judge, than a 17-year-old buddy of a buddy who knows somebody else who is involved. Otherwise, stay the fuck out of it. Because you really have no choice but to stay the fuck out of it. There's really no way for you to get involved. Encourage your friends to go see a pro. And then accept that this isn't something that you're going to be able to fix. And it may not be something that you ever really know for sure exactly what happened. And let it go. Keep an eye on your friend. Your friend, the alleged rapist. You keep calling him, you call him once the alleged rapist, and then you shift into just the rapist. Keep an eye on him. See if there are any other signs. See if there are any other reports from other friends of, uh, you know, sexual misconduct or violence or coercion or pressure or inappropriate behavior. See if there's a pattern. And if there is, maybe you can run around blackening his reputation and warning people uh, ahead of time not to get involved with him, near him, naked with him. But you can't go to the police and file a friend of a friend of a friend rape report. Hi, Dan. I am a 19-year-old queer woman in Portland, Oregon. Um, And my boyfriend has a question about anal sex. He really likes receiving anal, but is worried that it's going to make him incontinent in his old age. Um, we've looked on the internet and there seem to be like lots of conflicting opinions on this matter. Um, so if you could settle that for us so that we could keep having anal sex, that would be really lovely. Thanks. Here's how we know that anal sex does not lead to mass incontinence. Uh, go to any gay neighborhood, go to the Walgreens and see if they stock depends at any greater rate than a Walgreens in a not gay neighborhood. They don't. Uh, I am a buttfucker of many years standing. I don't know any incontinent gay men. If this was something that happened, uh, and people who hate anal sex, people who are sex phobes, people who are obsessed with butt sex, uh, some people who are even, you know, professional advice givers, run around claiming that, you know, anal prolapse is a real risk, and people who have butt sex, their asses fall out through their rectums, and... Uh, they can't keep the shit in, and it's just not true. Otherwise, in every gay neighborhood in America, there would be discreet little turd piles everywhere because the gays couldn't make it back to their houses or the ha- and their bathrooms in time before they, like, shat themselves. It just isn't a real risk. You know, fissures are a real risk. You can act, you know, if you do anal sex, dumb. If you do it wrong, you can absolutely positively injure yourself. Same goes for vaginal sex. Same goes for oral sex. Same goes for masturbation. Have you heard of traumatic masturbatory syndrome? It's a real thing. Uh, but people are so sort of afraid of their butts, afraid of the poop, that they want to, you know, scare people uh, with these horror stories about, ooh, you know, anal butt sex related incontinence. It's just not a real thing. Uh, and the proof, again, is in uh, what isn't laying on the sidewalks all over the Castro. Best of luck to you, and uh, go fuck your boyfriend's ass with a clear conscience. And lots of lube, and lots of anal foreplay, so that you actually don't damage him or give him a fissure. That's the real risk. Fissures and sexually transmitted infections. That's what you really have to worry about. Shitting your pants? Not so much. Hey, Dan. I'll try to keep this under three minutes. 
So me and my wife have been married for 10 years, been together about 14. We've got two little boys, a two and a seven-year-old. We've been uh, in marriage counseling for the last two years and individual counseling as well for the last year and got to a place where the marriage counseling got stalled out and the uh, subject of a trial separation came up. Um, So along the way, about a year ago, I had decided that I was going to have an affair because, you know, I, my wife is, uh, to be frank, incapable of, for various reasons, of, of showing love and and being affectionate um, and come to find out it's always been, you know, uh, an issue for, and, and me thinking we had a great night uh, actually sometimes turned out to be, her feeling like shit the next day because she, you know, felt like she'd been, you know, raped or something. So, so I was going to have an affair. I decided not to. I said, you know what? I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that talks about all that stuff. And I brought it up and brought it to the table and she was surprisingly open to talking about it. But when we got to the trial separation, I said, there's no way I could have a three to six month trial separation be separated and not have, you know, some love in my life and that I would need to seek it elsewhere. So am I an asshole for wanting that or is it okay? Maybe I'm just asking for you to validate my decision. I feel like it's, you know, the lesser of two evils, if that's how you want to put it. Maybe I'm crazy, but part of what I thought a separation or a trial separation was about was the general suspension of the marital vows. So the people who were separated in a trial capacity were free to pursue other people or fuck around or have other sexual experiences. And if the big, you know, major disconnect in your marriage is sexual and your wife's, you know, disinterest in sex or disinterest in sex with you, uh, I think you're totally uh, within your rights to go out and fuck other people during a trial separation. I also, you know, very rarely does a trial separation result in a resumption of marriage. A trial separation is usually, you know, a desperate sort of last gasp uh, failure to accept the bleeding obvious. Trial separations lead to permanent separations in almost all cases. Uh, You know, it's just about getting both of you out of the same apartment, out of the same living space, without either of you having to acknowledge that the marriage is essentially over. Some couples, some people find it easier to to make that final acknowledgement of the the end of a marriage uh, once they're both off on their own and in separate living environments. And so they don't have to look at each other in the morning after they've said things that can't be unsaid. So I think once you're, you know, separated, once you're trying that trial separation out, you're a free agent. That's what that means. That's what a trial separation is. You're experimenting with not being married. You're experimenting with separating. And so all bets are off. Uh, That's what a trial separation is about. And if your wife doesn't want you to see other people, doesn't still wants to control you, uh, then she shouldn't separate from you and you shouldn't separate from her and you should stay and try to work it out. But if there's never been any sort of intimacy in your marriage that didn't leave her feeling violated and then leave you feeling monstrous after the fact, I think you should accept that your marriage 
isn't meant to be or isn't meant to last. It was. It's just not meant to be anymore. Uh, hey, I'm calling because I've been seeing kind of this girl, and I'm extremely, extremely confused, and I'd like some help kind of clearing things up. Um, basically, long story short, this girl has been bi, leaning toward women for a while, and um, she and I hang out, and we're kind of friends or whatever. I really like her, and I, you know, I tell her so, and then um, she randomly we're hanging out and she sits on my lap and we start kind of making out and I'm like, okay, great. Cause I really like this girl, whatever. Um, wakes up the next diet. We had been taking uh, Xanax and alcohol, which is a bad idea. If you want to have a memory of the previous night, um, doesn't remember at all. Either way, that's fine. I tell her, you know, we had this long conversation cause I remember she said very nice things about me, things like she loves me and all of this. And I'm like, that's fantastic. Cause I feel exactly the same way. So a couple of weeks go by, she's kind of seeing this girl and we're talking and I'm like, listen, you know, I really like you. This is the way it is. I've, you know, I have these feelings for you. She's like, I feel very much the same way. Winds up breaking up with her girlfriend and we're hanging out and like talking about this. And then uh, tonight, we're hanging out. Uh, she's doing some work on my computer. And I'm making dinner, and she comes over and stands within, like, two feet of me. And we're talking, and I, you know, I just reach out, and I stroke her arm, because I'm figuring that's fine. She kind of has a little bit of a conniption fit. She's like, I'm getting really sick of this. You keep acting like I'm your girlfriend when we're together. Dan, I'm really confused. Just really confused. She left here in a huff, really pissed off. She's like, I've never made any moves on you and I've been sober, which in fairness is the case, but I'm wondering how far that I was drunk at the time excuse can really go. I could really use some, some advice here. This is super confusing and really frustrating. And it's just, just killing me because I I really love this girl man like I I've never been so hung up on a girl and yeah I feel like an idiot this girl must be really fucking hot I can't see any other reason why you'd put up with her bullshit which is what it sounds like you know she's bi and prefers women but when you get her just fucked up enough on Xanax and booze she's into you She's probably into mini fridges and God knows what else the fuck when she's that fucked up on drugs. There's probably nothing she wouldn't cuddle up to. I, I just like called up a page about Z mixing Xanax and alcohol. Xanax and alcohol are central nervous system depressants, which mean they both slow the activity of the brain. Drinking alcohol while you are taking Xanax may increase your risk of serious reactions, blah, blah, blah. Please stop drinking and taking Xanax in the presence of flirty attention whores. Which is probably what she is if you pour enough Xanax and alcohol down her throat. It's probably what anybody is with enough Xanax and alcohol in their systems. I don't know who that wouldn't turn into a flirty attention whore. Turn the fucking Pope into a flirty attention whore. A bigger flirty attention whore. I don't think you can be the Pope and appear in public in those outfits without being a, a bit of an attention whore. This is a total digression. Look, she's just not that into you when she's not fucked up on alcohol and xanax Take the fucking hint already. She's not into you sober, which means she's not into you, which means I don't believe you when you say that you love her. 
I, I, I would believe you if you said, she's so fucking hot, I want to stick my dick in her so goddamn bad that my eyes hurt when she's in the room. My dick hurts. My pants hurt. My shoes hurt. But you don't love this girl. And she doesn't love you. And there's not enough, you know, unless they're going to start putting Xanax and alcohol in the water with the fluoride, you can't keep her in a perpetual state of willing to flirt with you. So you need to walk away and find a girl who likes you sober and when she's fucked up on Xanax. And then later when she's fucked up on alcohol, these are two separate fucked up times. Not fucked up together on Xanax and alcohol. Fucked up on Tuesday on alcohol and into you. Sober on Wednesday, into you. Fucked up on Wednesday on Xanax and into you. Uh, But you need to move along. There's nothing to see here except heartbreak and messiness, and bullshit, and drama, uh, and you don't need any more of that from her. So, bolt. That's my advice for you. Okay, really quickly before I let everybody go. Um, douche. Is calling someone a douche sexist? You're calling them something that some people believe has everything to do with, you know, vaginas and... Vaginas being dirty and the water you put into vaginas and a douche nozzle, something you stick in a vagina to squirt douche water into. You know, I don't think it's sexist. Not because, you know, douching isn't something that women were conned into doing for a long time and don't really do anymore. I don't think it's sexist because when I say douche, I don't think of vaginal douche. I think of anal douche. The only people I know who douche are buttfuckers, which for the most part are fags. Uh, anal douching is something that a lot of regular sort of professional buttfuckers engage in. And, and so I think it's an equal opportunity sort of like disgusting reference substance, uh, insult, whatever. Some women douche, very few women. Does anyone, do women douche anymore? The only people I know who douche, the only douching that really goes on, most of it is butt douching. And I assume some women butt douche. There's a lot of women out there who are anal sex. Uh, the caller earlier, maybe, who's fucking her boyfriend's ass. Maybe he douches for her. But really, douching is about butts. And everybody has a butt. Girl butt. There's boy butt. So talking about, you know, calling somebody a douche is an insult? Not sexist. It just isn't sexist. In, in some ways, you know, if anything, calling someone a douche is an insult uh, gets douching wrong. Because douching is something that a courteous, thoughtful person does prior to engaging in anal sex. Douching before anal sex assures your partner of a clean ride, no Santorum. And so we call people douche as an insult, and yet the people we fuck in the butt who douche are doing us a favor by douching. Douching is a... Uh, is a is a nice thing. It's a kind thing. It's a good thing, as Martha Stewart might say before she douches. Her ass. Not her twat. Not her vagina. Her ass. Uh, sorry about the douching controversy, but I am not going to stop calling people douches, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stop using douche as an insult, and I'm not going to stop insisting on douching prior to anal sex as a gesture of courtesy and thoughtfulness which is exactly what it is. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, 206-201-2720. Please keep the douchey comments to a minimum. Me and the Douche Savvy at Risk Youth will be back at you next week with another douchey installment of my douchey podcast. Thank you, douches, for downloading.